We are in uh, week 15 of our Exodus series. We have one more week in Exodus. Uh, that means we have had 15, now 16 weeks of podcasts, five days a week. We've had folks that have done sermon-based small groups through the book of Exodus, and then we'll finish up with 16 messages through the book of Exodus. So we thought, uh, let's see who inside our church knows more about Exodus than anybody else. So we, uh, Pastor Joseph has uh, an exam. It'll be going out on our website uh, next week, I, people in the last service laughed like I was kidding. I'm not kidding. I mean, I know it's different, but we're going we're gonna to throw a test out. You don't have to take it. It's just if, if you want to step up and, and take it. And then we got like a killer, Danny, we got a killer Moses uh, gift pack that we're going to be bringing to the person who scores the highest. I took the test. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. So anyways, we'll finish that out and jump into our Christmas series. So we're excited about that. But today, if you have your Bibles, you can look at Exodus chapter 32. And uh, I'm one of those guys, I, I've had the privilege and the gift of growing up in the church. And I, I know some people's experience maybe growing up in church maybe hasn't been the best. Uh, that's not my story. I'm thankful for uh, my family who took me, been involved in some great churches through my life and just, just great experiences. So, but but I, I think about this story, and I wasn't asked to be on the editorial board of the Bible, like to determine which stories would be in and which stories would be out. I wasn't asked. That's good. But if I would have been asked, I would have said, hey, why don't we leave Exodus 32 out? Because it is a bad look for the people of God. And uh, Lord, I don't know if you want this one out there. You think about all the stories that could have been there. Uh, there are stories that things that happened that, that not room in scripture to record them, but this one's there and it's there for a reason, but it took me a while to understand why. And so, as you know, we saw the video, we're going to talk about the story of the golden calf. It's like, man, that is, that is a weird one. The children of Israel, I mean, God has just done some miraculous things, brought them out of captivity, Red Seas parted, he's given them the law, and they can't even wait a month and a half, and they're selling their jewelry, hawking their jewelry, and, you know, building these idols and worshiping God. What, what in the world? That is like, that is crazy. And, and I have thought in my life that, you know what, I don't think I can relate to that story. I don't... I don't have anything like that in my life, and to be honest, I was clearly wrong. Uh, let's put this picture up on the screen to kind of get us started. It's, we're going to talk today about one thing, recognizing the golden calves in your life. Anybody know where this, uh, this particular statue is located? Wall Street, right? That's the bull that's there on Wall Street uh, just outside the New York Stock Exchange. I'm, I'm quite sure that uh, we still worship golden calves in our country, uh, you know, Money, financial stuff is, is, is something that we value over so many things. And so as we think about an idol, and that, that's really what we're going to talk about, an idol. What, 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 is an, what is an idol? Well, an idol is anything other than God that you look to or I look, look to as a source in your life, a source of happiness, a, a source of fulfillment, a source of freedom, right? And so we're going to see that today. John Calvin said this. It's an amazing quote. It's very short, super, super pointed and true. He said, our hearts are idol factories. And that's really true about me, and it's probably true about you, that in our hearts, we're just, we're just idol factories, that we're constantly giving ourselves to lesser things and looking at these things as a source uh, in our life. And, and think about this. I'm going to throw a few things out, and some of this might stick, some of it might not. These are just some statements that we, we, we make that kind of lead us toward really some idols in our life. We, we say this. We say, the wife who saved me or the husband who completed me, the job that provided for me, the child who gave me a reason to live, the house of my dreams. 
the hobby that defined me or the substance that controlled me. You see, our hearts many times are idle factories, and today we're going to talk about one thing. How do we recognize the golden calves in our life? Because if we aren't able to recognize the golden calves in our life, then we're going to be controlled by them, and and the story ends bad. So let's look at Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1. Here we go. When the people, who who are these people? These are the children of Israel who had been held captive for uh, 430 years in Egypt that in a miraculous way they had been released and now they're on their way to the promised land. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, you you might write there in your scripture just waiting because we hate to wait. Do you hear people say that? I hate to wait. You hear, hear people say that? Everybody hates to wait, right? It's not like you're different than anybody else. Everybody hates to wait. And so children of Israel, they've been waiting for 40 days. Like, we're not talking about six months here. We're talking about 40 days. Like, and and where, where's Moses? They gather around Aaron, who is Moses' brother, and said, come make us gods who will go before us. For this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. There, there's a lot there. They're, they're, they're just tired of waiting, and they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, hey, make for us a god, because we need something that's right here in front of us. We need something that is accessible, because we're tired of waiting, and we don't know where Moses is, who's God's representative. And so when, when they say that, what they're really doing is they're reverting back to the way life was in Egypt because the Egyptians had a God for everything, right? And so they're going, they're going back to that. And then this, this statement that they make, they're like, this guy Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. That, that's kind of minimizing really what Moses has done, isn't it? It's kind of like saying, you know, that guy who got us a corn dog from Sonic, we're not sure where he is. I mean, are you, are you, are you kidding me? Here's a dude that you're, you're, you're captive in Egypt and, and God used Moses in a powerful way to, to release you, but we're, we're prone to sort of forget that and ascribe worth to other things. Verse two, Aaron answered them. Aaron, again, Moses' brother. This is, this, let's be honest. This is not Aaron's best day, right? Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Now, the challenge that Aaron had, and this is so important, let's just push into it for a second. Listen, the challenge that Aaron had is the challenge that every single one of us face in our life. Are we gonna be swayed by the voice of the crowd or are we gonna live surrendered to the voice of God in our life? And whether you're 16 or 76, that's still the challenge every day in our life. And Aaron at this point gives into the voice of the crowd and he says, hey, give me your jewelry. Those earrings, necklaces, go ahead and take them off and bring them to me. Now, let's stop and ask a question because I think it's really important. Where did they get this jewelry? You remember from studying the scriptures, studying Exodus, where they got the jewelry? When they were leaving, I asked and nobody answered, so it's super awkward, like my small group or something. Like, you know, hey, where did they get the jewelry? Well, when they were leaving Egypt, when they were leaving Egypt, God made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the Israelites. And so as they were leaving on their way out of town, they just asked for stuff and the Egyptians just started giving it to them, right? So this, is, this was God's miraculous hand in their life. So this was clearly what God had done for them. And this jewelry is just a physical reminder of all that God had done. And they're just slinging it off, right? And forming their own God. Now, th- this is, again, this is only 40 days after the Ten Commandments had come down to them. Anybody know what number one is? You shall have what? No other gods before me. Number two, do not make for yourself any graven image or don't, don't create a God like in your own image. So number one and number two, 
40 days after they came down, they already violated. That's what they're doing here. So Aaron says, take off your gold earrings your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me so that all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Verse 4, he, meaning Aaron, took what they handed him and made it into an idol. He fashioned it into a god, cast into the shape of a calf. Now, the word calf there is uh, it's probably better translated young bull. In fact, if you study a little bit about Egyptian religion, the Egyptians had at least four gods that, that were in the shape of a cow. And so that was a, kind of a picture of power uh, to them. And so there was, there was, there was a history here w- with this. It just isn't some random thing. Fashioned in the shape of a cow, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, listen to this, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Like when, 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 when they, got, they got their little God, their little calf, and they're holding it in their hands, and they begin to thank it and praise it for bringing them out of captivity in Egypt. That's messed up, isn't it? Could we just all agree here, whether you're watching online or you're sitting here at Battlefield, that's, that's just a little messed up, isn't it? But we're prone to ascribe worth to things in our life that really deserves to go to God. Now, let, let, let's read on. When Aaron saw this, now Aaron's got a background, right? Aaron's Moses' brother. Aaron had been there for the show. He'd seen all that God had done with, with, with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and even the signs before that. I mean, Aaron knew what was up, right? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the, ca- the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So what's Aaron doing? Aaron's like, uh-oh, this thing has left the rails. So Aaron very quickly says, here's what I'm going to do. We'll spiritualize this deal. Right? Because, yeah, this is wrong, but we can kind of baptize and make it look better. Right? And that, that, that's really, if, if we're not careful, we are so good at that. We're so good at taking an idol, a God that we've created in our own image, and spiritualizing it and sort of justifying it, you see, to really make other people think that, you know what, we're where we need to be. You see, sometimes it looks like we're worshiping the right God. We're just worshiping clearly the wrong way. That's what's taking place here. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. So this is sort of this compromise. Like they're saying, you know, God, we, 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 want, we want your power, but we want to do what we want to do in our life. Have we ever said anything like that? Now, you don't have to nod here, but think about it. You ever thought like that? God, I want, I want your power, but then I, I don't want you to make any demands on me. I want to do what I want to do. This is a perfect example of that. So they're worshiping God, really, or thinking they're doing that. And really, they're worshiping an image that they have created. They're their own God. So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, listen to this. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink, and then they got up to indulge in revelry. Now, that word revelry is so rough, I, I, can't, I can't translate it for you. It's sexual immorality that is so out of bounds and so in the open. Be super embarrassing to talk about in a room like this. But they just finished quote unquote worshiping and they step up and are involved in behavior that is like Woodstock on steroids. I mean, this is way out of bounds. Let me say something that's a hard thing to say today. So much of what we call Christianity in the church today, to be honest with you, is so far from the truth of the gospel, 
It's not even close. And so one of the tests, one of the litmus tests of that, I think we see it in this passage. Listen, if your corporate worship gatherings, which is what they were doing, they were gathering and they were worship. If your corporate worship gatherings aren't leading to personal life change, there's something bad missing here. And I think the church needs to hear that. We will sit in rooms like this and we will raise our hands and we will sing and we will walk out of this room. And you see very quickly that what we've been worshiping perhaps has just been a joke. It's been an image that we have created. It's a God who doesn't place any demands on us. So let's look today for the next few minutes the truth about golden calves. I want to share four things, excuse me, three things. Four, if you're here Thursday night, you got four, right? So if you come on Thursday night, you get more. I'm going to give you three today. Some of you are like, glad I came today. Here's the truth about the golden calves in your life. How do you recognize the golden calves? Because golden calves are present in your life, and they're present in my life, and we need to know how to recognize them, right? That's why God placed this in the Scripture. We need to know how to recognize them so we aren't controlled by them. Here's the first thing about golden calves that you might not have thought about. Golden calves don't make you wait, right? Golden calves don't make you wait. That's for the children of Israel. It's 40 days. We don't know where Moses is. Build us something. Give us something. And boom, here's an idol. Doesn't make them wait. You see a golden calf's right there, easily accessible, right there. Never makes you wait. Can I tell you something? Maybe the most important thing I'm going to say, and I just have a few minutes, and I want to say it, and I want you to hear it, please. Life's biggest mistakes are often made in the waiting room. You see, if I can look back on the story that is my life the last 50 years, the biggest mistakes that I have made in my life have been in the waiting room. And you say, what do you mean by the waiting room? Well, here are the children of Israel at the bottom of the mountain of God, and they're not willing to wait on Moses to come down. So they grab a golden, golden calf. It's the waiting room. You see, spiritually, think about this. We've been in the spiritual waiting room, and, and, and what does a spiritual waiting room look like? Well, God's not showing up on your timetable. You're praying, and you're not seeing the answers that you thought that you would see, and it's certainly not happening at the pace that you'd want to have, have happen in your life, and so you're just tired of, of waiting, and so we take matters into our own hands, and we turn and walk away from God. We do that often in the waiting room. Morally, we live in a culture today morally in the, in the waiting room, we know God's standard is sex inside of marriage, but we're not willing to wait in this season of our, of our life. And so we give ourselves to golden calves that don't make us wait. They cost us so much in the future. So we, we fail morally in the waiting room. Professionally, let's talk about this. Like we've got a dream for our career. We know where we want to be, and it's not happening at the pace that we want it to happen. And so we will manipulate some things cut some corners, do some things, take matters into our own hands to try to produce an end result that we so desire without the weight. Relationally, we're just tired of waiting on a change in another person's life. We're frustrated with his behavior or her behavior. And so instead of waiting for God's transformative work to take place in their life, we just walk and some of the biggest mistakes that you'll ever make in your life will make them in the waiting room. Because here's the thing that always shows up in the waiting room. There's always golden calves in the waiting room that are easy to take into our lives. I want to share a couple things on this just to, to, just to drill down just a little bit deeper if it's okay. I don't know if this is connecting with any of you or not. 
here's some essentials for the waiting room because let me tell you something about living, living life in the day that we live in today. You're going to have to wait on some things. So here's some essentials for the waiting room. You ever uh, had a family member that was having surgery, like a major surgery, and you were going to spend a long time in the waiting room? You ever had to spend a long time in the waiting room at the hospital? Anybody done that? Could you just nod? It would help me if you're watching online. Could you nod? I don't even know why I ask. I don't know. I guess you are. But, but uh, so here's the thing. There's always like people who are like experts at waiting room. Like they come in and you see her. It, it's usually a female, right? You see her. She comes in and she's got a bag. Man, that thing is huge. It's on rollers. She walks in and she sets up an omelet bar over in the corner. She feeds everybody. Right? There's a gaming system for every kid, magazines. I mean, it's just, it's just, this bag is endless because she knows how to wait, man. And if you're going to be in a waiting room, it's good to be with somebody that knows, knows, knows how to wait, right? But, but here's the point. Here's what I would say. There's three things you need to know for the waiting room of your life. These are essentials in the waiting room, and you need these. If not, you'll make some of the biggest mistakes in your life. When you're waiting... Here's the first thing. You need to remember the goodness of God in your life. You need to recall the goodness of God in your life. Now, let's think about it. That sounds kind of cliche, and you're like, yeah, you were supposed to say that. But think about in this particular story that we're looking at today, think about all that God had done in the life of the children of Israel. I mean, they're captives. They're crying out to God for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer, brings them out. Ten plagues, destroys uh, Egypt, Red Sea parts, destroys the army of Egypt, gives them the law of God. I mean, over and over again, God had, had, had worked, but in the waiting room, they forgot the goodness of God. And let me just tell you something. We're all prone to spiritual amnesia, aren't we? But when you're in the waiting room, it's just good to stop and recall the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Number two, when you're in the waiting room, you need to remember this. You need to remember that God is teaching you and teaching me how to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me say something to you, and it may seem arrogant. I don't mean it to be, but I promise you this. I know if you're a follower of Christ, I know without a shadow of a doubt one thing that God is doing in your life. I guarantee you, here is one thing that God is doing in your life. You know what it is? He's teaching you how to walk by faith and not by sight. Now think about this story. The children of Israel had really only followed God by sight, Right When Moses shows up and he's got a staff and he needs to show the people that God's with him, he throws the staff down and it becomes a snake. You remember that story? Picks it up, it becomes a staff again. They're like, that's cool. Water poured out, turns to blood, all of the plagues. I mean, they are seeing God move. It is easy to believe when we're walking by sight, right? I mean, everybody's a believer. The Red Sea parts, sweet, right? Closes back up. Then they are in the wilderness, and as they're there in the wilderness, there's a cloud by day and what by night? Fire by night. So what are they doing? They're just walking by sight. Now they come to a place where God is teaching them in the waiting room to walk by faith, to trust in the darkness the promises that God has revealed in the light. And that's where God is taking you and me to teach us how to walk by faith and not by sight. Do you understand this? One day we won't have to walk by faith. When we step in the kingdom, we'll live by sight. But right now God's teaching us to walk by faith, to trust him in these times. Hebrews 11.1, great verse. Hebrews 11.1 says this, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. That's what God is trying to do. Now, let me tell you the third thing I think you need to know in the waiting room. Number one, remember 
the goodness of God in your life. Number two, remember, this is a lab where God's teaching you to, to, to really walk by faith and not by sight. Number three, we need to remember that God is doing his greatest work when he seems to be most silent or when he, appear, or when he appears to be silent. Two weeks ago, I'm taking a walk with my wife and two dogs. We have two dogs, I've told you before, they're poorly behaved. Um, it's embarrassing. We walk in our neighborhood. Every time they see another dog, they just completely melt down, bark, bark, bark. People send me emails on how to, you know, try to get my dogs. I, I can't, don't send me an email. They're, they're just poorly behaved dogs. I'm sorry. Extend some grace to me. Um, but we're finishing up our walk, and I look up ahead. We're coming around the corner almost to our house. And I look ahead, and I see a dog that I don't recognize. He's not on a leash. In fact, I can see that he's broken off his leash, and then I can tell who he is. We have some neighbors who have a couple pit bulls. And it's, a, it's their, one of their pit bulls, he's broken off his leash, and he's just kind of running free range through the neighborhood, right? I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't turn around. But guess what? He did. He turned around. Now, for the first time in the history of walking our dogs, neither one of them barked. And he just made a beeline for us and began to run. He is sprinting. I mean, he is flying straight toward us. Now, let let me tell you something about my dogs. My dogs bark, but they don't bite, right? They're just all show. You know guys like that, right? You grew up with them. I mean, they're a lot of talk. They wouldn't fight anybody. My My dogs are that way. But can I tell you something? You know anything about dogs? If a dog is coming at you hard and he's not barking, what does that mean? It's about to go down, Right? So I'm faced with a choice in my life. I'm faced with a choice. I can squeal like a third-grade girl at a slumber party and, and try to outrun my wife and dogs back to the house, which is not a good move. I mean, it crossed my mind. I'm not lying to you. I could see my garage. And so I said, all right, it's on. I, I told Amy, I said, hold Max. He's our little yipper. Pick him up because he's like a tic-tac to this, this dog. I said, hold him. And I just started walking toward that pit bull who's running toward me. I just started walking toward him. I'd heard that you were supposed to do this, and I'm praying, whoever told me that, I hope they weren't an idiot. <laughs> and finally, he, he got as close as, you know, you guys, and he just stopped and, like, and turned back. It was, can I just be honest, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It was a great moment in my marriage, right? My <laughs> wife is like, that is my man. <laughs> I just remember walking back to the house, like, yeah, girl, you married the right one here. Yeah. <laughs> this is the stuff that dreams are made of which I needed a moment like that because just uh, a few weeks earlier, I was stuck in a parking garage in my truck and could not get out. I was wedged in, could not get out, in, out, couldn't get out. And Amy finally said, let me do it. She got out and backed me out of a parking garage. And so I totally lost my, my, so now I'm just even, right? The pit bull story brought me back to even. So praise God. Some of you are like, dude, you're taking us on a journey and I'm not sure you're going to bring us back home. Where are we? I don't know. In the waiting room, When God seems silent, the truth of the matter is, it could be that we're about to experience his power. When God seems silent, let me tell you something, he's coming. He's coming. And most of our lives, we leave the waiting room until uh, way too early. We leave the waiting room before God shows up in power. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not at work. Let's look at the second thing about golden calves. Golden calves fade fast. Now, golden calves, let me say this because in the church, I have to be honest, and this is, I haven't said it this way in any of the other three services, and I just, I'm going to do that, and I hope you understand my heart. Number one, I'm tired, and, and I'm get a little loose with what I'm saying in this final service, but 
I would sit and listen to my preacher growing up, and here's what I thought. I was like, dude, you don't get it. Like, you don't really understand the world I'm living in. I, I, I sit and hear you rail against sin, and that's not the stuff I know about. Because, man, it's got some sizzle, right? I mean, you painted this pretty bleak picture. I, I don't think you know what I'm talking about. Can I tell you about golden calves? They've got some sizzle. They have some sizzle. The truth of the matter is, they just don't last. They fade fast, and you need to understand it. I love the movie Family Man. I want to show you a clip if you promise. Please, this happens every single I've, I've almost quit showing movie clips because every time I do, people will email me and say, Pastor, we're so disappointed. We got the family together on Sunday night to watch the movie you showed us in church. Like that was an assignment. It's not an assignment. We watched that, and it was inappropriate for our kids. We're disappointed in you. Well, you should be, right? Pray for me. I'm not telling you to watch this movie. I'm just saying I watched this movie, and <laughs> I like this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Family Man, if you, if you, seen it, if you haven't seen it, uh, Nicolas Cage and T.A. Leone are in this movie. And, and Nicolas Cage plays uh, just a young, single, multi-multi-millionaire, uh, works on, uh, in Manhattan, just has everything. But on, on his, his, his work is his life. He's coming home on Christmas Eve late, and he just stops in a, a little uh, market to get some eggnog. That's how he's celebrating Christmas. He's already called this really important meeting for the next morning. And uh, Don Cheadle uh, walks in, and he's, he kind of plays the role of almost like an angel. And in this crazy exchange of events, he tells Nicolas Cage that you're going to get a chance to see a glimpse. In other words, you're going to get a chance to see what your life could have been like. And Nicolas Cage was, was dating uh, T.A. Leone in, in college, and, and he went to London to take an internship, said he would come back, and that they would get married, whatever, and, and the relationship devolved, and, and it ended. And so what Don Cheadle is saying in this glimpse, you're going to get to see what your life is like. So the next morning, Nicholas Cage, or in his dreams, he wakes up not in Manhattan, but in New Jersey. And uh, he's not a multimillionaire. He's, uh, he's a car salesman in New Jersey with a wife, a dog, and two kids. And it's really awkward, and he battles and struggles and tries to run back to his own life. And then, in just a, an amazing story, he, he falls in love with, with, with this woman, and this is the life that he wants, but he has to go back to the other. But there's this one scene shortly after Christmas that I want to show you this morning because I think it makes this point really well. Let's take a look at it. It's perfect for your frame. Why don't you try it on? Might want to take an inch out of the back. Okay. Lengthen the sleeve. You look amazing in that suit. I mean, really, wow. Off the charts, great. <laughs> it's an unbelievable thing. Wearing this suit actually makes me feel like a better person. I'm gonna buy it. It's $2,400. Are you out of your mind? Come on, let's go. <laughs> she got those shoes. Those shoes were $25. Come on. 
take it off, all right? We'll go to the food court and get one of those funnel cakes you like. <laughs> That's a great clip. But here's what I love about that clip. When he puts that suit on, do you remember what he says? He says, it's an unbelievable thing. Wearing this suit actually makes me feel like a better man. And you know what? He's right. I mean, let's be honest. He's right. Like golden calves have some sizzle. They sizzle for a moment. I mean, it's a, it's an, it's a new relationship, and it, and it sizzles for a moment, right? I mean, it's a new suit. It's a new car, new car. On and on and on it goes. There is some sizzle there. But it just fades. And we need to be aware of that. We need to see it for what it is. If not, our life, listen to this, our life will be lived chasing one high to the next. And you'll never run out of golden idols. Now, they'll never satisfy, but you go from sizzle to sizzle to sizzle until your life is burned to the ground. That's what golden idols do. And we need to see them for what they are. Golden idols don't make you wait. Golden calves fade fast. And then lastly, watch this, third thing. Golden calves can't pay the price. Exodus chapter 32, verse 20. I know it's time to go, but man, there is some, there's some good Jesus in these verses. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That word atonement means pay your ransom. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. You created them in your own image, and they created you in their image. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not then blot me out of the book you have written. What's Moses saying there? He's saying, these people deserve the wrath that you're about to bring to destroy them. I get it. Can I pay their way? Can I pay their ransom? If there's any way to trade my life for theirs. Now, if we read the rest of the story and you understand that some judgment does come, some do die, but they're not all destroyed. We see grace. And Moses is really a shadow of the coming Messiah. See, here's Moses. His heart is right. He's willing to die in their place. But Moses is different from Christ. He's got sin in his life as well, so he cannot pay the ultimate price. But this story is in the Scripture as a shadow, a foreshadowing, if you will, of the one who is to come, who is the ultimate substitute. And let me tell you something about the ultimate substitute that, that just will, will wreck you. That the ransom that Jesus paid doesn't just pay for the sin debt of mankind going forward right, for all the sins that were committed since the time of Jesus going forward, the rant, because this is way before Jesus would come. The atonement, the ransom, the substitution 
that Jesus paid also goes in reverse to everyone in ages past who were looking ahead to a Messiah that would come and their sin is atoned. That's pretty powerful. Because let me tell you something about golden calves. When it comes time to settle up and pay the bill, they're gone. You can't find them. And you will be weighted down after you have chased them, after you had given your life to them, you will be weighted down with a weight that you can't pay. Let me tell you something about a substitute. A substitute always moves people from a place of judgment to a place of mercy with God. Isn't that good news? That's what a substitute does. He always moves people from a place of judgment to a place of mercy with God. And I want to close with this thought. Please hang here with me because in the waiting room of our lives, we've made some mistakes, haven't we? Are you willing to wait? Are you just going to grab the next golden calf that's there in that waiting room? Are you, are you at a place in your life where you, where, you, where you have some agreement that golden calves fade fast? You've chased the sizzle over and over again, but, but you need something more. Do you realize that golden calves can't pay the price? But doesn't that beg the question, who can? Let me show you the coolest part of this passage and then we're done. Look back at verse 19, Exodus 32, verse 19. If you've got a friend that's got a Bible or their smartphone, look on with them. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. Look at this. And he took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire. What does that tell us? Any idol that we make doesn't have any staying power. He burned it in the fire, then he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites, he read it, drink it. You see this image in your mind? He grounds it to powder, pours it out in the water and says, hey, gather around, drink up. What's he doing? He's reminding them of their sin. He's making them pay. Any of you have a mom or a daddy who's a six-year-old and you said something you wasn't supposed to say and you went to the bathroom, they took some soap and rubbed it in your mouth. Any of you lived through that one? That'll stick with you, right? This story connects so amazing to another story and it changes the rules for me. When Moses says, drink it, I'm reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, he cries out to his father, if there's any other way, let this what? Cup pass from me. Dad, if there's any other way, I don't want to, I don't want to drink this. What is the cup? The cup is the wrath of God. All the wrath of God poured on us for our sin. And then Jesus makes this statement, not my will, but yours be done. And then listen, listen. 
and then he drank it. Drank it all. Is that not the most amazing thing to think about in your life? You see, it's, it's as if all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of the idols that we have chased in our life are ground up and they're poured into a cup and he drank it all. Absorbed all of that, paid all of that. Why? Because he is the ultimate substitute and a substitute does one thing. It always moves you from a place of judgment and wrath to a place of mercy. And listen, listen, listen. When you understand this about our king and only when you understand this about our king, then you don't want to chase the golden calves in your life because nothing compares to who he is and what he's done on your behalf. This is what it's about. Father, thank you for this moment in time. This is a story that I have read since I was a boy. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing that people that knew you, that watched all you have done, conducted themselves like this. But Father, I've come to realize this is my story. I wasn't willing to wait. So I chased a golden calf. I didn't realize that they faded. So I needed more and more. And when it finally came down to pick up the tab, they were gone. And I was stuck holding a bill I could never afford. And in this story, like so many others, we see your grace. We see you as our substitute, the one who paid our ransom and drank the cup so we could be free. Father, help us to see golden calves for what they are. But more importantly, help us to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.